That's my spiritual gift, is I ask people to do things that make them uncomfortable. Um, but it usually ends up with, like, growth after the fear. So just know that, right? I'm going to switch sides so that she can have my mic, and then we can go this way. Hey, uh, if you are new with us this morning, uh, and you're, like, at the end of the day, not completely creeped out by us, and you want to continue to... Uh, stay in the loop as far as what's going on. We communicate through the GroupMe app. Uh, so you can go to your phone, download the GroupMe app, and there's a little card right there on each one of those tables that says, add me to the GroupMe. All you gotta do is give us a name and a phone number, uh, and we will add you to that GroupMe message so that you can stay in the loop concerning what's going on. Uh, that is our primary means of communication throughout the week. Um, so, and as a young church, um, things are fluid. So communication is kind of key. Uh, Tyler's like, yeah. <laughs> Fluid means Josh can say something on the spur of the moment and ask people to go with him. So uh, that's kind of what that means. When there's an opportunity, we want to take it, and we need to be fluid enough to shift to go uh, take that opportunity. So um, 2019 in review. That's where we're at right now. We're at week two. Last week, Derek shared with us uh, concerning his 2019 what it was God's been teaching him and showing him uh, in the year. Possibly one of the most difficult things for us, actually, I'm just talking about having kids here. I have four of them. Um, there's a lot of difficult things about having four kids. But one of the most original difficult things about having kids is giving them a name. Uh, I guess some people come by this easy, but it wasn't easy for us. It was like a long process. And I have this rule that when we're naming our kids, I don't tell anybody what we're thinking about. Like, so people are like, hey, do you have a name yet? I'm like, yes, and I'm not going to tell you. Uh, and I don't mean that to be rude. I just don't want your opinion of the thing I've picked to influence the name I give my kids. So um, my mother-in-law probably thought that was rude, but uh, I didn't say it that rude. I just, I just want to hold that back because uh, inevitably people always have an opinion, and that's okay. Uh, but I don't want your opinion to influence what I name my child. We put a lot of weight in the name that we give our children's. Um, I said children's. Children, in and of itself, uh, is plural, so I don't have to add an S to it. Um, giving a name wouldn't be so difficult if we didn't believe in the power of a name. Okay? If we didn't believe that there was significance in the name that we give a child, then it wouldn't be so hard. But we believe that what we say has power to bring about what we see. What we say has power to bring about what we see. Therefore, giving my children a name is kind of a difficult task. Um, think about it this way. Uh, instead of a name, maybe it's a description. She's the slow kid. Right? You've got four kids, inevitably you're going to label them. And you might begin to say over and over and over, well, she's the slow one. He's the big one. Um... Or he's the smartest. You know, he's the smart one. Um, or maybe she's the pretty one. <clears throat> There's power and significance in the words and the names and the descriptions that we repeat over our children and over others all the time. Because what we say has power to bring about what we see. I think that if you label him the slow one, he's going to submit to that. And he probably will live up to the description you've given him. Right. Uh, <clears throat> so we named our kids Micah, Brant, Micah, Micah Laney, 
Micah has significance. Laney just sounded pretty afterwards. Fit the first name. Brant Caleb. Brant sounded tough. Uh, it's like, yeah, that's cool. It was like brand, like a fire brand. I'm like, yeah, that sounds tough and cowboy. But his middle name is Caleb. Uh, and Caleb was a warrior with Joshua. That's my name, Joshua. And I believe that as having sons, I was having young men who would raise up to go to battle with me for the kingdom of God. So I wanted to give him a name of significance that tied him to his father, that he viewed not just as my son, but as a warrior for the kingdom of God with his father. We give Micah the name because Micah 6, 8, what is required of you but to love the Lord your God? It says to act justly, to love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. And we wanted her to know what the Lord desires of her. So we gave her a name that's a constant reminder of that. Uh, our third one is Justice Clay. We tied him to me because my middle name is Clayton, so we gave him the middle name Clay. But the first name Justice is one of those um, names in the scripture that nobody notices because it just kind of comes up and it kind of leaves. But Paul described a man named Justice as being a huge encouragement to him in his ministry. And I wanted him to know that, that he was going to come alongside of me in my life and in my ministry, and I believe that he was going to be an encouragement and a help to me as we go through our life and our ministry. So we wanted to give him a name that would lead him into that. And then Jordan, Jordan Karras. Karras is the Greek word in the Bible that means grace. Um, and I thought grace was too obvious, so we named her Karis in the middle. And I don't go well with the obvious. I want to hide things. Um, but her first name, Jordan, uh, in the book of Joshua, the nation of Israel comes up on the Jordan River, and they're standing there. And Joshua tells them right before they cross over to the Jordan into the land that God had promised them so many years ago. He says, prepare yourselves, sanctify yourselves, Cleanse yourself, because tomorrow, as we cross over the Jordan, God's to go do miracles among you. And we believed, through the process of Jordan's pregnancy, that God was preparing to do miraculous things in and through her life. So we gave her a name that would lead her into that. Right? Because what we say has power to bring about what we see. So therefore, we were cautious and careful with our name. Think about it. i got a discussion question for you. What name or description has someone assigned to you that has had an internal or external impact? Has there been a name or description? It's like, Mark's the athletic one, right? I mean, has there been something, a name or a description that somebody has spoken over you time and time again? Maybe they didn't even know they were doing it. It can be for positive or negative, but it has begun to have an internal or external impact in your life. Can you think of that? One that you'd like to share with us? I've recently been labeled the crazy aunt. The crazy aunt, huh? Put that for me. Out because I know what they're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> it had an internal impact. Yeah. I mean, you hear that enough, you're like, it, it can simmer inside of you for good or bad. I can remember growing up, and I, and I, I'm not disagreeing, but being labeled by my parents as the warrior. Like, you just worry all the time. You need to, you know, and I can, I can think now in my adulthood, whereas, like, I do, still having to fight back that that's not who I am in Christ and that I can, you know, live it in peace um, that He has given. But fighting that, like, it always goes back to 
well, you're the warrior, you're the warrior child, you know. And it's like, I heard that a lot. Yeah. And maybe a different, I mean, you say that, you, you tell your kid, you're the worrying kid. Well, what if you gave them a name or a label or a description that taught them how they were going to have victory over their fear instead of teaching them that they are identified by their fear? I mean, it's, you don't have to label them by their handicap. You can give them a name or a description that will give them victory over their natural handicaps. But instead, you go, oh, I guess I am. That's who I am. I'm the worrier. Anybody else got something that comes to mind? I think for me, um, I'm the baby of the family, but for 20 years at least, I've been the one that they say, you're the communicator, you're the healer, you're the one we all go to for advice. You keep everything calm. And I hated that pressure. I'm like, I'm a baby, shouldn't I be coming to you guys? <laughs> but then it was, it got to be where it's a blessing that, you know, yeah. that they do look to me for that. It can be a compliment or it can be a burden, you know, depending upon how you receive it and, and maybe even the seasons of life that you're in or your family's in, right? Because if you're the one that has been given that weight and you're in a season of distress or um, you got a lot of weight in your own life and then everybody's laying that one on you, it can crush you. Yeah. Because then they're like, you're so strong. Yeah. Or you can handle anything. Yeah. That's the one that becomes the crazy aunt that nobody knew was crazy until she explodes. Right? It's like, what was wrong with her? It's like, we just piled all of our crap on her and she exploded. That's what's wrong with her, right? We put the weight of our world on top of her instead of asking if she needed somebody to console, counsel, and encourage her. But it can also be almost a prophetic identity that you've been given a gift to bring healing and peace into situations. So you just got to... What we say has power to bring about what we see, but we also have to be cautious about how we deliver it when we're talking about people, because it can be a positive or a negative impact internally or externally. Right? Um, so Jesus meets a man named Simon in John chapter 1, um, <clears throat> verse 40 through 42. Andrew, who is Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two men who heard John and followed him. That was John the Baptist. They were followers of John the Baptist in his preaching ministry. He first found his own brother Simon and told him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. And he brought Simon to Jesus. So Andrew is like, We've been listening to John. John's been teaching, Hey, make way. The Messiah is coming. The one we've been waiting on for ever for generations he's here he's coming get ready and then they meet Jesus and they're like oh. Andrew's like we found him he's, he's, he's here and he runs and he gets Simon and he says Simon we found the Messiah and he brings him to Jesus and when Jesus saw Simon he said you are Simon son of John and you will be called Cephas which is translated Peter so Simon meets Jesus and Jesus doesn't call him Simon he calls him Peter Simon was a Jewish name given from one of the twelve tribes called Simeon that we have in the Old Testament. The nation of Israel was split up into twelve families, twelve tribes. One of those was Simeon, and Simon's name was an identity given to him from his ancestors. And that was his Jewish identity. But Jesus renames him Peter. Peter is known as Petros, 
which means rock, uh, meant to describe strength and stability. Not pebble, but rock. Like a foundational strength and stability. He gave him that name. <clears throat> but in approximately 38, 30 AD, when Peter met Jesus, and Jesus gives him the name that describes him as strong and stable, Peter was anything but strong and stable. Like he wasn't. When you read through the gospel narrative, Peter was the one that was unstable. He was the reckless one. He was the one that wasn't stable enough or consistent enough for anything to happen on top or around him. Like he was the one that was going to break stuff. He was that kid. But instead of identifying him as who he is, Jesus gives him a name to describe who he will be. Because Jesus knew that what he said had power to bring about what he saw. And so he didn't call him Simon, he called him Peter. He called him the rock. He called him stable and strong. Um, so I, I want to give a really brief character study of Peter, and then we're going to jump in and hear from Leslie. Um, it'll kind of mirror what we talked about with Peter real quick. In year one with Jesus, Peter witnesses Jesus healing uh, his mother-in-law. Peter's mother-in-law got sick. Jesus comes and he heals her, and Peter sees this, and he's, he's a witness to this and to other things. Yet when Jesus speaks into where, like Peter and his friends are out fishing, they've been fishing all night, and then Jesus comes, he's like, hey, drop your net on the other side of the boat. In and of itself, that's a very insignificant command. It's a very insignificant instruction. All it takes is Peter taking the net, listening to Jesus, and dropping it over here. Just a 180 turn, drop it, and that's it. But instead, in year one with Jesus, we see Peter mocking Jesus for his instructions. He's like, man, I've been fishing all night long, and you want to come early in the morning and tell me to drop on the other side of the boat? What a ridiculous thing to ask of me. But I'll do it just to prove you. And then they fill their boat full of fish that they can't even hold. But in year one, that's how we see Peter, mocking Jesus for his even simple instructions that cost him absolutely nothing. But in year two, Peter witnesses more miraculous feats from Jesus, including raising the dead, feeding thousands with just small amounts of food. He multiplies that, um, and, and he sees him with, do many miraculous things. And now we find Peter... Instead of receiving simple instruction for Jesus that Peter mocks, now we find Peter taking another step in his journey with Jesus, and he says, ask me to do something incredible. Like, ask me to come out on the water and to walk towards you. Like, they're in a boat, and then Jesus appears on the water, and they're like, oh, that's incredible. And Peter's like, no, 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 no. It's not cool enough for me to see you do that. Command me to come with you. Like, Peter, don't you remember, like a year ago, I asked you to drop the net on the other side of the boat and you mocked me, and now you want to ask me to ask you to do something incredible. But that's the shift in Peter's journey. That's what a difference a year makes. Simple instructions, nah, you're a little bit off your rocker, Jesus. But now, a year later, Peter's, like we were talking, you change one degree at a time from your old life to your new life. And in a year, we see that Peter has shifted so many degrees that he goes from mocking Jesus about simple things to like, come on, man, ask me to do something incredible. Ask me to walk onto the water with you. And Jesus said, come. 
and he comes. And then Peter freaks out again, right? Because the storm comes, the waves come, and Peter's like, I know I told you to ask me that, but now that I'm walking in this, I'm, I'd rather not. But that's the, that's the journey that Peter's on. <clears throat> that's the transition that a year makes. Um, and though he has this unstable moment, we find that the end of year two with Jesus, Peter finishes strong, and we recognize significant growth in that year. When Jesus says, who do people say I am? And they're like, some people say John the Baptist, some people say you're a prophet. He looks at Peter and Peter, who do you say that I am? And we see Peter ending year two with significant growth, and he says, you're the Messiah. You're the son of the living God. And Jesus is like, yeah, the Holy Spirit revealed that to you. Recognize this growth in year two. Celebrate it. You've had moments that were in, unstable. You've had moments that were low. You've had moments that were up and down all over the place. But we have ended year two together, Peter. And that is significant that you would say that about me. So we see the difference that a year makes in Peter's life. And then in year three, it seems to deflate any momentum coming out of year two because people... Peter, coming out of that incredible moment where Jesus is like, hey, who do you say that I am? And then he has this like solidifying of his faith, and everything's moving in the right direction. He's moving towards Jesus and away from his old self, and we see those degrees beginning to add up. Year three opens up, and Peter just kind of collapses because he publicly denies knowing Jesus in Jesus' moment of trial. He goes from saying, you're the Messiah, son of the living God, to a little schoolgirl sitting in the campfire saying, aren't you with him? Like that guy that just got arrested and that the Roman guards have taken, aren't you with Jesus? He said, I don't know him. I don't know who he is. Not with him at all. And we see all the momentum from year two just collapse in that moment. And we see Peter's trajectory go the other way. <clears throat> But now, coming out of that moment, Peter finds greater strength and greater stability to live up to the name and the title that Jesus has given him as he comes humbly and loving back to Jesus after that moment where everything was just wrecked. Peter finds his greatest fulfillment of his identity as he comes humbly to Jesus and Jesus receives him and says, Peter, I... I I've seen you go up, I've seen you go down, I've seen you be stable, I've seen you be unstable. You're a wreck, man. But do you love me? And Peter, in his greatest moment of humility and love towards Jesus, you know I love you. Three times they have this conversation together. And coming out of that, Peter begins to more than ever fulfill the identity that Jesus proclaimed over him on day one. Coming out of that moment of great humility and love, Jesus establishes Peter as stable and as strong to fulfill what he has spoken over him. But you see the journey over three years. And interesting, in years four through nine, Peter is known for living out uh, the prophetic nature of his name. He brought healing and salvation to thousands. Like the years four through nine where Peter's walking by faith in Jesus like the church is exploding, um, people are being saved, people are being healed, 
Uh, we're seeing entire people groups turn to Jesus, and Peter's kind of identified by that. But it's interesting that as we go to year 10 in Peter's life, as he knows and follows Jesus, we find Peter in year 10 still wrestling against his own humanity. Because in year 10, like year 10 of following Jesus and like walking with Jesus for three years and like being the one that preaches to thousands and sees thousands come to faith in Jesus, you're like, Peter has arrived. Like Peter has gone from the old Peter to the new Peter. He's like 180 degrees. He should be good to go. Stable, strong. He's a rock. But in year 10, we find him wrestling against his own racism. We find him wrestling against his own elitism. Because he still thinks that non-Jews are not as good as he is. And Jesus is still shifting him away from the old Peter to become the new Peter. Ten years into this journey, he's still wrestling with like some of the most obvious teachings of Jesus. Right? For God so loved the world, the whole world, that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him will not perish. And then Peter still thinks that there's like an elitism in that statement. Like, I know Jesus said that, but the Jews are still better than everybody else. I don't think Gentiles can receive the same Holy Spirit either. And like, he's still wrestling with some very natural, like, the humanity that's in himself. And then God shifts him a little further to become a little more like Jesus. Even in year 10, it's still taking place. Even in year 10. Every year holds moments that we'd rather forget. Like every year. If you look back on 2019, you're like, I had some lows, I had some highs, some things I'd like to forget, some things I'd like to move on from. Yet in review, as we learn to live by faith in Jesus, every year should find us and likely finds us a few more degrees towards Jesus than the previous year. And that often comes through moments that we'd like to forget. But those moments we'd like to forget are what God uses to shift you a little further towards Him and a little further away from your old self. So we, we, we don't look down on the moments where Peter's like, I'm walking on water until things get hard. Or I'm making statements that don't really align with the gospel. Because those moments are how God's going to shape you away from yourself and towards Him. And every year that we live holds both. Every year that we live. And I think it's just healthy to get to the end of a year because it's a natural rhythm of our culture that we have things set up according to years. And let's just utilize that and say, where, is God, where did God find me at the beginning of last year and where do I find myself at the end of the year? What has God taught me? What has He shown me? How has He shaped me? So that's what I'm going to ask Leslie to do for us right now. Derek did it for us so well last week. Leslie's going to fight herself and come up here and read what she's prepared. I think you guys are going to be incredibly encouraged by this. I read it last night, just put her at ease. Uh, and it, I was sitting on the couch just incredibly encouraged myself, so I know it's going to bless you. So Leslie, come on up and share some of the significant things God has done in 2019. has been a series of life-changing choices for me. In March, I was accepted into the respiratory therapy program at Pulaski Tech. I left my job of five years as a pre-K teacher to focus full-time on school. And on Sunday, April 21st, 2019, I attended City Church Salt County for the first time. 
It was the first time I had stepped into a church in 15 years. That particular Sunday happened to be their Easter service celebrated alongside Bridgetown, where a friend of mine goes. I remember entering as a complete stranger and prepared to feel as I did every other time I attended a church as a guest, judged and unwelcomed. Instead, I was greeted by kind faces, smiles, and warm hellos. I got to witness so much of the glory of God that day with the lessons Josh had to teach, the baptism of AJ, and songs like Good, Good Father and Unstoppable God sung together during worship. I remember being moved to tears time and time again that morning. With the help of an invitation of a friend, God had started me on another life-changing path, and for the first time in years, I wanted to be worthy of his love. In mid-June, my first half of the summer semester was coming to an end when my class discovered that a program director was being let go. At that moment, the future of my education was at risk, and the whole first semester had felt like a mess when we discovered why I felt hurt, cheated, and afraid. Afraid that there wasn't going to be a program to come back to the next week, and if there was, how could we possibly expect one professor to be able to cover the program's material entirely? We made it through the rest of the summer, and things seemed like they were going to be okay once a new director was hired. That was until we discovered she was unliked in the respiratory community, and rumors were spread that we would lose our clinical sites. I continued to stress over this for weeks as things seemed to progressively get worse. Then Josh started his series on Psalms, Peak, and Valleys. I realized I was caught in a valley, and I wasn't going to find my way out on my own. The situation was completely out of my control. And Josh said that when you are overcome by fears and stress and anxiety, to find a refuge. So driving home that day, I prayed. I laid everything in God's hands and decided to trust in whatever his plan was for me. I prayed for peace of mind and for strength to overcome my anxiety. And at that point, I still wasn't sure if God was listening to me, but I know now that he was. He granted me the peace of mind and allowed me to overcome all the negativity I was facing at that time, which has in turn allowed me to thrive in school. I was elected class president, became one of the top students in class, and we are graduating with honors in May. On September 4th, I was able to attend DNA group for the first time. I had always felt nervous about attending, and when I thought about DNA group and Bible study, I always felt afraid of how I would be judged for being so ignorant when it came to knowing and understanding the Word of God. Instead, I was surprised with how warm and supportive DNA group was. I was able to share my story of how my family stopped attending church when I was young and at a vital age, how that affected me as I got older because I didn't know how to have a relationship with God, and how when I tried to read the Bible, it felt like reading a map, just words on a page that I didn't connect with. I had this heavy weight that I carried up to that first day that I had built up inside myself because I was ashamed that I didn't know God. I didn't hear his voice. I didn't feel his love. Being able to lay all of that on the table that day and to know that I wasn't the only person who had felt that way, uh, felt the way that I did at the start of their journey and to be met with so much love and kindness, sharing my story, which is incredibly healing for me, allowed me to be able to change my perspective of how I viewed myself in my relationship with God. Hannah and Shelley shared so much with me that day about what it was to communicate with the Lord, that it wasn't always a voice you hear, but the feeling of his presence and trusting it to guide you. I wanted so badly to have that connection with God. That night, I took my first true step towards following Christ. Josh had messaged me uh, that night after speaking with Shelly and asked me what I thought about my experience with DNA group or if I had any questions. I wanted to reach out towards God, but I wasn't sure how. 
In return, Josh answered me with a series of three questions. Do you admit you are a sinner? Yes. Do you believe Jesus was sent to die on the cross for your sins? Yes. Are you ready to put your faith in him? This question caught me. I knew I wanted to. I wanted to be like those I saw around me, to have that close relationship with God, but I was met with hesitance. My mind kept thinking of all those times in my past where I needed him, periods where I was overcome with so much anxiety and depression, I would scream for him, calling out for help. That's when it crossed my mind, what if I took this leap blindly and no one was there to catch me? But how will I know if I don't try? Are you ready to put your faith in him? I want to be. Josh called me and we spoke about what I was feeling. He and Shelly prayed for me to be able to open my heart up to the Lord and for him to help guide me. Although I felt better after getting off the phone with them, I still had this feeling of unease. My mind kept circling back to what Josh had asked. I was extremely restless and unable to sleep. There was something I felt like I needed to do. Josh had recently started the John Challenge shortly before all of this. One chapter, one truth, one prayer. So I opened my Bible and I began to read. And as I read, I was able to see so many truths pop out to me. And as I did, I was washed over by this feeling. It was like a heaviness in my heart that filled me with warmth. I recognized this feeling. This was something I had felt with every anxiety attack I had been through. I had always associated it as a negative, but here it was as I read, finding truths that lifted up my spirits. I realized what I was feeling was the presence of God. I realized that he had always been there when I needed him. Even in my darkest moments, he was there. Um, John 1.5 says, The light shines in the darkness, and darkness can never extinguish it. Jesus was my light. I prayed that night, thanking Jesus for all he had done for me and to continue to guide me, that I wanted to put my faith in him. The next night, I was washed over with the same feeling as I continued with my reading. John 3.3 Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. To accept Jesus as my Savior and put my faith in the Lord was the way for me to be born again. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Jesus died for my sins, and I was ready to put my faith in him. He had been there with me all this entire time. At last, I was ready. Once more, I prayed. I admitted my sins, and I thanked Jesus for his sacrifice to forgive me. I opened my heart to Jesus and made, my, made a vow to put my faith in him. I shared the news with Josh and Shelley, and on September 29th, I was baptized. I, know now, I now have a firm understanding on the differences uh, Jesus has made in my life. I feel the difference when I miss a day at church or when I miss a day of reading. Attending church and reading used to feel like something that I should take a part of, but now it's a vital to my survival as drinking water. I look forward to Sundays, I look forward to DNA groups, and I look forward to quiet nights alone with my Bible. Any of that just give me free reign to, to share what God's done this year. Um, so we like to have interactive conversations down here, and we like to give you... Uh, is there anything that Leslie has said that you have a question, comment, an encouragement, curiosity about her journey in 2019? Has anybody got anything reflecting? Leslie, there's a part of your story that I have not ever shared with you. Um, as you're reading that, I'm trying not to cry. You're already making me emotional here. 
but that DNA group that night, that first night, um, and like we were going through the Word of God and just verse by verse, just explaining who Jesus was. And I remember on the way home, I was battling being angry with God because I was like, God, you say your word does not go empty; it's not void. And I'm like, Lord, just please open her eyes to see the truth. Speak to her. And I remember just arguing with him. Like, why let her see? Why were you not letting her see when we were talking? And, and I just, I was praying the whole way home in just argument with God <laughs> over the power of his word. And then you messaged me like at 2 or 3 in the morning. I don't remember when you sent that message. And you were like, I was reading in John. And you started quoting those truths. And you're like, I've accepted Jesus, put my faith in him. And God was like, see, my, my word did not void. And it was just, I was like, oh. I, for me, it was like growth for me too. Like, I was wrestling with, Lord, where are you? Why are you not moving when I want you to move? Um, this is the greatest gift that is ever to be given. And I just remember being so frustrated. And then God turned around and blessed me and was just like, I know it's not in my power. It's all in His. And His Word is alive and it is powerful. Um, but I just remember that part of that just being like so frustrated. And then God turned around and He was like, I've got this. <laughs> he was like, I spoke. I talked, you know. Um, but it was even, it was, it was eye-opening for me, your, your journey and that transformation that God was doing that night. Um, like I said, He ended up like shaping me through that process with you, you know, and um, I said I'll never, I'll never forget my gripiness to him, <laughs> you know, for not moving when I want him to move, you know. Um, it's, just, it's, it's incredible to hear that and just hear, hear what God is continuing to do, that degree to time in all of our lives. So it was gripping me that night too. Oh, wow, I was so frustrated. I was like, She's like, what are you doing over there? I'm like, I'm texting Leslie. I'm like, I can't go to sleep tonight because I feel like God's active in her life right now. And i got to poke in there and see what's going on with those three questions. And Shelly's like, just leave her alone. She'll call you if she wants to talk to you. And Shelly, that just carried over to our living room setting that night. And But just so convinced that God was active in your life. And obviously, we didn't do anything. We just asked the questions and God moves in your heart as you study the scriptures and reveals things to you. And that's incredible. It's incredible to watch somebody's story like Leslie. She's like, I opened the Bible. And it's like, wow. I saw this and I saw this. And the funny thing was, you just said that every time I opened the Bible before, it was like a foreign language. It was like a map. And now you open it and you're like, huh. Mark's perspective, he's like, yeah. Like this was like recently, 
And I'm like, Mark, if we had like DNA groups that were couples and you'd come, would y'all would that be like more feasible for you? Would that work? He's like, it's like when I go to DNA groups, I feel like everybody's just voicing their problems. I'm like, yeah, that kind of started on a negative twist, but we've moved towards a gospel-centered, scriptural, uh, interactive evening. Um, so it's interesting to hear different perspectives of DNA groups and how we operate and what our purpose is. Because when we started, it did kind of have like a counseling session, and we very quickly redirected towards more of a gospel-centered, scriptural-centered <coughs> evening uh, and away from the counseling session. Your counseling comes from the Holy Spirit as you read the scriptures. So we want to spend those evenings focused on that. So. Anybody got a thought, question, comment, encouragement? If not, there's a, one more thing that I wanted to say. Um, I let my mom read this last night, and she just kind of gave me this look when she was done. It wasn't like she was happy for me. She was happy for me, but she was disappointed in herself because she, she blamed herself for not seeing how in need I was. But I, the only one to blame is myself because I didn't tell her how I felt or what I was going through. I felt so ashamed of myself that I didn't want them to feel ashamed of me too. And I just, I don't know, I want it to be known that um, it's not on my parents how far I fell, it's on myself. I have thoughts, but I'm going to, yeah, just the weightiness of being a parent and thinking about our roles with our children. Number one, we are given as overseers and parents of our children, leaders spiritually, physically, emotionally. That's our role. But God is bigger than our faithfulness or our failures when it comes to our children. He will ultimately triumph, no matter how good or how absent or how present we are as a parent. He's given us as a gift to our children that he is bigger than us. And as young adults, then you get to a certain age where it is your decision. And you, can, mm -hmm. you have a choice to blame your past or make your own you know, thoughtful decisions. There's a quote that I'm stealing from somebody. Um, your, your past may explain you, but it won't define you. And we want to live under that reality that our past explains us. My, your past explains your journey, but it doesn't define you. When you allow your past to define you, you're stuck. But if you allow your past to explain you, uh, that's a much healthier perspective. I think that's the one you're taking, which is great for you and your parents as well. Because we celebrate with your parents, for your parents, Right, and we pray that uh, your journey impacts your family on a positive way, leads them closer to Christ, uh, and, and this whole thing comes together well. Right, so we're praying. Uh, we're praying for you guys, working with you guys, striving to see all of us closer to Christ, further away from our old self, but we're also attached to people, families, friends, coworkers. And your journey is impacting their journey.
I was extremely encouraged when I read it. Number one, you're very detailed. You pay attention. I teach week after week after week after week, and I'm like, sometimes I don't even remember what I taught. And then I know Sam does, and Sam, I don't know. But then to read that, and you're like, dang, she's been paying attention. Like things have taken root over the months. And I'm like, wow, yeah, we did go through that series. Yeah, we did. And then to hear the backstory of what happens on Sundays and then as you guys disperse into everyday life and how the gospel and the teachings of the scripture just kind of find their way into your everyday life, that's a huge encouragement for us as a church to realize that those things are taking place, that this is not geared around just sounding good on Sunday, but this is geared on letting that infiltrate your lives. Um, that was a huge encouragement to me, and I appreciate you sharing that. Anything else? Awesome. Well, we thank you for sharing. Huge encouragement to all of us and uh, celebrating with you uh, what God's doing. Can't wait to see what 2020 <laughs> looks like. You look at Peter's life and you're like, each year, each year had its own struggles and its own victories, but every year we found ourselves a little further in our journey a little closer to Christ, a little more like Him, a little less like ourselves. Um, we just celebrate every milestone and every year. So, thank you, ma'am. Appreciate you. Did you say you have the mic back? <laughs> <laughs> so, thank you. so next week, we are going to, like I said, we'll have kind of a State of the Union message, sermon, won't be like a presidential thing, uh, but I do want us to recognize where we've been as a church. I told you guys that we're here um, sometime during the year, I said we will measure our success not by numbers or dollars or butts, we will measure our success by whether or not we are fulfilling our vision. And I want to recap this year how we have begun to walk in and fulfill the vision God has given us on an increasing manner, the things that have represent that, how we're moving in that, and what that transitions in 2020. I believe 2019 has been a hugely successful year for City Church Salt County, not because of any growth numbers, not because of anything except for the fact that God has allowed us to begin to walk very clearly in the vision that He has given us. And I believe as we stay faithful to the vision that God will do whatever He wants to do in this city. So I want to recap that very clearly for us next week to see what that has looked like over the past year and then how that transitions us and propels us into 2020. So, um, thankful for all of you. Let me pray for you as we go out of here this morning. If you're new with us, thank you. Remember, if you want to stay in the loop, uh, put your number and your name on the group me. You can drop it in a bucket. Um, we don't ever talk about offerings, but if you want to give an offering, you can do it in the bucket too. Um, I think I've probably the second time in two years I've announced that. Uh, we can also do that online, so we got options. Um, I don't mention it because it's just you guys have been good. So, I didn't have to. <laughs> um, along that, um, Sam is also helping us transition to be more responsible and more structured in our finances. Uh, he is helping to oversee our QuickBooks and make sure that things are handled in a 
uh, orderly fashion when it comes to making deposits and taking care of uh, you guys' generosity uh, and how you're giving through this church. Um, so we're taking steps. If you've ever called me and said, hey, did you get that check? Um, we're going to eliminate those phone calls uh, because Sam's helping us become uh, more faithful with what the generosity that you guys are showing. So excited about that step. So let me pray for us. God, we thank you for what Leslie has shared with us this morning, what you have done in her heart and in her life. Uh, this is the reason we exist, is to help people.